Well, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word with me and turn to Joshua chapter 23. We're going to be continuing uh, uh, through our series in Joshua, really approaching the very end of the book of Joshua. Um, And so tonight we're going to hear some of the final words that Joshua begins to say to some of his listeners at the time. And so let's give careful attention to the reading of God's Word from Joshua chapter 23. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God, for if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth, And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. Amen. Thus ends this reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak through your word, and we thank you that you are a God who always keeps your promises, Lord. And tonight, as we look at some of these hard promises that you proclaimed, Lord, even that you are faithful in your wrath, God, we ask that you would help us to repent and to believe the message of the gospel, that you would help us to pursue obedience by faith in our lives and in our hearts, Lord, and that you would, that you would block out any, obedient, any disobedience that is in us, Lord. Would you help us to pursue the forgiveness that we can only have in your son, Jesus? And would you bless our ears as we hear this word tonight? It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 
When someone knows that their time on earth is coming to an end, the final words that they say may be a great indicator of what they believed and of what they cared about. The 11th president of the United States, James K. Polk, uh, his last words were to his wife, and he said, I love you, Sarah, for all eternity. I love you. And so he was demonstrating that the last thing he was thinking about was the love that he had for his wife. And that is something that he probably tried to show throughout his life. Uh, See, in our narrative today, Joshua was approaching his final hour and determined that part of the final words that the people of God needed to hear from him were the following. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. Now, if these were the final words that a loved one had to say to you on their deathbed, you may think that that was a bit harsh. But in reality, Joshua's words were just as loving as President Polk's. Here is the message that Joshua desired to share with his people at the end of his life. I want you to escape the faithful wrath of God. And this wrath is faithful because God had tied its coming to his faithful promises. God is faithful even in the consequences of his wrath. And so a harsh message, yes, but a loving and necessary message, absolutely. The the wrath of God is something that we typically try to avoid thinking about. Uh, As Reformed Presbyterians, we know uh, many doctrines and we hold them true to our faith, such as the perseverance of the saints, that we know that once you are saved, you cannot lose your salvation. But we should not be foolish enough to think, as Paul warned the Romans, that we can continue in sin that grace may abound. God is serious about obedience to his commandments, about obedience to his covenant. But the worst news of it all is this. We are all covenant breakers. If you've idolized your job for the security of your family, you've transgressed the covenant. If you've succumbed to the fear of man instead of the fear of God, you have transgressed the covenant. If you've dishonored your parents, envied your neighbors, or made false testimony, you have transgressed the covenant of our God. And here's Joshua's final words to us covenant breakers here in this passage. The wrath of God is coming. See, scripture is clear. This coming wrath that it speaks of is not intended for the believer. The wrath of God is rightly designated for the unrighteous and for the ungodly. If you are in Christ, you may have assurance of pardon and an intimate knowledge of your salvation. You can have assurance. Nevertheless, scripture also teaches us that when we fall into grievous sin, we may experience the displeasure of our mighty God. And so the question we are left asking tonight is, how do we escape this faithful wrath of God? And the answer to this question is actually quite simple. It's one that I believe that you know. To escape the faithful wrath of God, you must obey Yahweh by faith in Jesus Christ. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 85, summarizes the answer to this question like this. It says, To escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requireth of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life with the diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption. 
And so I want us to look tonight at how Joshua demonstrates these truths in three ways. And these three points will all show us what it practically looks like to demonstrate faith in Jesus Christ in our own lives. First, look to the Lord and do not serve the nation's gods. Second, love the Lord and do not be yoked to the nations. And third, listen to the Lord and do not transgress the covenant. So let's look at our first truth found in verses one through eight. Look to the Lord and do not serve the nation's gods. As verse one indicates for us, there seems to have been a large period of time that had elapsed between the end of chapter 22 and the beginning of chapter 23. At this point, the land had been fully divided up, the people are dwelling securely, and the Lord has given rest to the people from their wars and from their labors. And Joshua now, being advanced in years, determines to call together the entire assembly of Israel, and especially their leaders, so that he may pass on a final divine word of wisdom to those who have sat under his masterful leadership for these many years. And he begins by reminding the people of the past victories that Yahweh had allowed them to achieve. One important aspect to note is that Joshua determined that the message he was about to deliver was necessary to be heard by all Israel. Their leaders were to pass it on to the people throughout the nation, and many of them would be there. This was an opportunity for covenant education in which the families and their children needed to be educated on what God requires of man. Most of those who were listening to Joshua at this time very well may have seen the events that Joshua had described. They, they had experienced the renewal of the covenant, covenant. They had seen the Lord make the sun stand still. They had fought in the conquests throughout Canaan. See, they had seen the Lord push back many enemy nations, and the Lord promised them that the full possession of the land would be theirs. In verse 6, Joshua begins to tell them what their response must be. He says they must obey the word of God and not serve the nation's gods. But little did they know that serving foreign gods would become a humongous stumbling block for the people of Israel. Immediately after the end of the era of Joshua, the people began to do exactly what Joshua had warned against, mixing with the nations by worshiping their gods. Not only did they make mention of their names, as Joshua had warned them not to do, but Yahweh's own people would also become idol worshipers. Rather than cling to Yahweh, they would cling to pathetic statues and images. And so the warnings of Joshua could be fittingly placed in our own times. Gather the church and all her covenant children and look to the Lord by remembering how he has fought for you, how he has defended you. And now, because the Lord has been faithful to you, obey his word and do not serve the idols of your culture. As the people of God, we must look to the Lord and to those things that he has accomplished on our behalf in order to show us our need to avoid the gods and the idols of our nations. Here is where we must evaluate our personal witness, even in our own age. We need to help each other see both the misery of sin, but also the faithful provision and deliverance of Yahweh and how he has provided and delivered us from idols for many, many years. The people of Israel had experienced these events with the Lord, and we've all had our own experiences and our own lives where we could share with one another how the Lord delivered us from idols, where we could, we could show how God chased us down, how he 
defeated the idols that were chasing after us. And these are the stories the people of God need to hear. These are the stories our covenant children even need to hear. We need to remind each other to look to the Lord, to the one who drove the nations out of Israel, the one who is conquering the idols in our lives, and the one who conquered sin on our behalf. Because if he's been faithful and deserving of our worship before, we can know that he will certainly be faithful and deserving of our worship now. See, he promised the Israelites that he would certainly give them the land. And he promises us many things. He promises that he will certainly bring us home. See, clearly Israel was not to worship any other gods besides Yahweh. But here in our world, by and large, we're not walking around the streets of Ridgeland, Mississippi, seeing people bow down physically to statues. And yet, the nations of the world are still filled with gods that whisper to us, or perhaps even gods that scream out to us, desiring our worship and our adoration. Notice how Joshua speaks of these things. He tells them not even to mix with the nations. Often throughout Israel's history, they wouldn't necessarily just abandon the worship of Yahweh altogether. They would simply add in other gods or elements that were foreign to the true faith. And Christians today are not safe from this trap. The idols that tempt us in our nation may not be statues to bow down to, but they're little gods in our pockets that determine our every move of every day. Or they're advertisements on television screens that grow greediness in our hearts. Or, or they're restaurants with monstrous meals that make our stomachs growl with gluttony. When an Israelite would engage in idol worship, it was fairly obvious. You know, they'd bow down to a statue. But many of the idols that plague us today do their best to hide in the crevices of our hearts. Israel to prove that it was very much possible to make sacrifices to Yahweh and bow down to statues. American Christians prove it is very much possible to sing praises on Sunday while we lust with our eyes on Saturday. Joshua commands the people not to make mention of the false gods, and I believe that therefore the opposite must hold true. Do make mention of the one true God. This is what Joshua has shown. Look to the Lord, look to what he has done, talk about the Lord, and don't even mention those false gods. When I was in youth group as a teenager, we had a Bible study at my youth pastor's house, and I don't remember exactly what we were studying, but I do remember the story my pastor shared with me. At the time, my pastor, my youth pastor, he was probably around 50 years old. He was actually serving as the interim. He was the associate pastor, but serving as the interim during their search. And uh, on this one particular night, he told us a story to help us to guard our, our hearts from the idol of money. And he told us about his early years of marriage where he and his wife were very much lacking financially. And he remembered that some days he would open his cabinet to make dinner and the only things that were left in there were a half a jar of peanut butter and a few packets of ramen. And so we're sitting there hearing this story and we expect him to lament those days. But instead he told us that he was so thankful every time there was another packet of ramen in there because it was testimony that the Lord was continuing to provide for them, that with or without the financial means, the Lord was their provision. And eventually the Lord did allow them to have enough money to buy a house, have multiple children, send them to college, live a fairly comfortable life. But what these experiences taught him was this. 
It was the Lord who had provided, and it was the Lord who had conquered his battles. The Lord saved them from the idol of money, both in times of plenty and in time of lacking, by having them depend on him rather than on their checking accounts. See, when Joshua was speaking, the people were in a season of plenty, and he reminded the people that no matter how the future was looking, God would certainly drive out the nations and keep his promises. So do not serve the nation's gods. And my pastor did something similar. He taught us to look at his life and say, look at what the Lord has done. And because of that, do not bow to the idol of money. Christians, do we urge one another to look to the Lord and to not serve the nation's gods by reminding each other of what the Lord has done? Joshua has proclaimed to believers throughout the ages to look to the Lord by remembering what he has done and by obeying every commandment of scripture that he has given us. Because the only way to escape the faithful wrath of God is by living by faith in Jesus Christ. So look to Yahweh and do not serve the nation's gods. Let's move on to our second section of our text in verses 9 through 13. You must love the Lord and you must not be yoked to the nations. The central command of our passage is found right here in verse 11. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Here we see that Joshua is giving two motivations for an obedient love of God. First, in verses 9 through 10, he attempts to motivate the people by reminding them of the grace of God. He says, people of Israel, Yahweh's driven out these strong nations before you, and he's made it so that one of you can stand before a thousand. Christians, Yahweh has defeated death, he's freed you from bondage, and he's given you hope. And so after appealing to the grace of God, Joshua switches to what will be his main argumentation, the fear of God as a motivation for our love of and obedience to God. Joshua uses some harsh language here. He says that if they cling to the nations, the nations will be a snare that will trap them. He says it will be as if they were whipped, beaten, thorns in their eyes. You would imagine them covered in blood, cuts, and bruises. They will be abused by the ones that they cling to for protection. And so Joshua tells them explicitly what it looks like to cling to the nations in verse 12. He says, For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, and he continues. Now see, there is no closer relationship between two humans than the marriage relationship. Uh, when you're married to someone, you often tend to become more and more like them as you spend time with them. My wife Tori and I have very different personalities. Uh, she's more outgoing and adventurous. I'm a little more reserved and cautious. Uh, she likes to travel. I'm okay with a good old staycation. Um, but the longer we've been together, we've noticed how similar we've started to become. Uh, Tori likes to say that I've become goofy sometimes, and more like her in that way. And Tori, on the opposite end, has become much more time-oriented, which is how I tend to operate. See, but in the case of idolatry, the mixing of unbelievers and believers tends to only go one way, leading the believer astray. And this is what Joshua warns of. Joshua knew that if the people were to get married to the unbelievers in the nation, they would introduce them to their idols and that the people of God could be led astray. And this is not merely an Old Testament concept. Even the Apostle Paul echoes this command in 1 Corinthians 6, 14. Listen to what he says. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light 
with darkness. See, the command for Christians is clear. You may not marry an unbeliever. And yet more and more, I've seen professing believers, young and old alike, fall to the trap of this so-called love and yoke themselves permanently to an unbeliever. However, this command can be applied to more areas than just simply marriage. Joshua used marriage as an example of what it meant to cling to the nations. And again, we look at the high priestly prayer from John 17 for insight. In verse 15, Jesus said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I think many Christians act as if non-believers are simply neutral players in the game of life that we're a part of. However, that's not true. There is a spiritual war being fought on earth, and the evil one desires to use unbelievers to lead God's people astray. But even more, he desires to prevent God's people from reaching the lost with the message of the gospel. See, according to Genesis, the covenant made with Abraham was not only to benefit Abraham's physical descendants, but the nations would be blessed by him. Christians, you will not reach the lost of the world by yoking yourselves to them or by adapting the message of the gospel. You must reach the lost by loving the Lord your God and proclaiming his gracious message of repentance. Throughout church history, there have been various attempts to change the message of scripture in order to reach the lost and to have further partnerships with unbelievers. Uh, whether it be to, uh, to, to err on the inerrancy of scripture or the ethics of the Bible or the evangelistic call of our faith and so on. In, in modern times, the global church tends to downplay the wrathful side of God to show the world that we have a religion of love a more attractive religion, perhaps. And while I want the world to believe that we have love to share with them, I don't believe that will happen by loving the things that they love or by changing the substance of our message. I believe that will happen by loving the God of love. So church, we must have a holy fear of becoming like those we are trying to reach. If our sexual ethic, our workmanship, our attitudes, and our values are all identical with the secular world, then we can know that God will bring about the proper consequences. Because we will not reach the world by becoming the world. We will reach the world by loving our God and obeying his commandments. And so our question is, do you want to reach the nations? Do you want to escape the faithful wrath of God? Love the Lord and do not be yoked to the nations. Now, let's look at our final point in verses 13 through 16. Listen to the Lord and do not transgress the covenant. At this point, Joshua emphasizes the faithfulness of the Lord, but not in a way that we typically would hear a preacher talk about the Lord's faithfulness. See, when I think of the faithfulness of God, I think of the, uh, of the first stanza of the famous hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Thou changest not, thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. And to this, Joshua would say, amen. The Lord does not change. He always keeps his promises. In fact, since he's promised to punish covenant breakers, you can be absolutely certain that God will be faithful to his promise to display his wrath. I think many Christians today fail to realize that we are still bound to keep God's moral law and that we are commanded to obey the covenant that God's people have always been commanded to obey. 
though we now sit under this dispensation of the new covenant. Listen to Colossians 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. See, the wrath of God is not merely an Old Testament concept. It's a, it's a concept even in the New Testament, talking about the faithfulness of God. Listen again to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It says, What is the duty which God requireth of man? The duty which God requireth of man is obedience to his revealed will. That is obedience to the commandments of God summarily recorded in the Ten Commandments. And so we have to ask ourselves if we've ever considered how privileged we are as modern Christians today. I mean, today we're sitting freely in the Lord's house, worshiping on the Lord's day, hearing the word proclaimed. And not only that, we have the entire biblical canon in our language just a few clicks away on our phones. It's easy for us to look at these warnings that Joshua gave the people, knowing that they immediately went away and served the nation's false gods and thinks to ourselves, how could they be so foolish? Joshua told them this would happen. And yet, there has not been a day of your life where you have not transgressed the covenant by lying in your heart, hating your neighbor, lusting after sin, ultimately by failing to place your faith in Jesus. The people of God have always been commanded to listen to the Lord and to not transgress the covenant. But in case you've not remembered it, you have no hope of keeping the covenant. You have no hope to keep it on your own. The Israelites would fail. They would resist the call to repentance by the prophets. And today, Christians fail to listen to the Lord, and we resist the call to repentance by the word. Our only hope is found in the one who has perfectly kept the covenant. Jesus is the only one who has spent his entire life serving God and never serving the nation's gods. Jesus is the only one who has been completely united to God in every aspect while never becoming yoked to the nations. Jesus is the only one who has completely listened to the Lord and has never transgressed the covenant. The only way to escape the faithful wrath of God is to obey Yahweh by faith in Jesus Christ. When we're tempted to be lazy in our obedience, we may imagine God as a father who comes home to a destroyed house. There's crayon on the wall. There's unfinished homework. And he simply says, son, you shouldn't have done this, but, but it's okay. We imagine God as a God with no, no consequences, no enforcement of the rules. But God is not a God of chaos and injustice. But he's also not a father who mercilessly walks through the door, screams at the child, and punishes him endlessly for his failures. That's not who our God is. Instead, God is a father who walks in, sees the failures of his son, and gives proper discipline as he sees fit and as is good. And he cleans the crayon off the wall himself and invites his son to the table to eat if he would only repent. See, one dangerous route you could take after hearing Joshua's proclamation of fear, wrath, and obedience is to add to your life the doctrine of what one of my professors jokingly calls the doctrine of sola bootstrappa. <laughs> it is impossible for you to keep the commandments of God on your own. If you try it, you will certainly receive God's wrath because you will certainly fail. Your only option is to obey Yahweh by faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what it means for us to listen to the Lord and to not transgress the covenant. 
In a youth Bible study this week, we were studying Colossians chapter 3, and my coworker Marcus helpfully pointed out that the commands of Colossians 3 must be seen in light of the clear proclamation of the gospel found in the first two chapters. Listen to what Paul writes in Colossians 2. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Christians, Joshua has rightly proclaimed that to escape the faithful wrath of God, God's people must obey his word. He doesn't merely command us to eye service, but to faith in Jesus Christ. And in the absence of faith, we're doomed to fall to the outcome that Joshua's listeners would fall to in the book of Judges. So church, the Lord calls you to obedience by faith in Jesus Christ. And now we must ask ourselves these two final questions. First, where are you failing to obey the commandments of God? You must evaluate your own heart and life and submit in those areas in which you are relaxed with God's requirements, as if God does not take sin seriously. But then second, ask yourself, where are you faithlessly obeying? See, you must forsake that doctrine of sola bootstrapa and allow every area of your life to come under the gracious authority of King Jesus because it is through him alone that you have any chance to obey. It is through him alone because he has given you his Holy Spirit and he has purchased you by his blood. And so Christians, to escape this faithful wrath of God, you must obey by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we do thank you that you give us faith in Jesus Christ, that you have allowed us to sing your praises, that you have allowed us to be renewed through the regeneration of our hearts, Lord, because you, have sent your, you had sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. And so, Father, I pray for us today that you would help us to see any of the sins that are present in our own hearts, Lord, that you would allow us to repent, that you would allow us to believe the gospel, and that you would allow us every day to pursue obedience, not by our own power or by our own work, but by faith in the risen Son, Jesus Christ, who has purchased redemption for us, who has given us the Holy Spirit, and who has promised to come back again to gather us home. And so, Father, we do pray that you would send Jesus to us quickly, Lord, that we may end our disobediences, that we may end our failures, and that we may spend eternity for you, forever obeying you by faith. It's in Christ's precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.